1: which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training, by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment, which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems, which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at Roth or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here
0: today with Greg Roberts. Greg, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here.
0: Good. Before we get started with the show today, what I thought I'd do is tell some of the folks uh, who are listening who's coming up next. Next week, we're going to have Barbara Culver from uh, Resonate. After her, on the 24th, we're going to have Troy Augustine from INET Interactive. On the 31st of August, 30th of August, I think we're going to have the Boy Scouts of America, the uh, Executive Director of the Cincinnati area, of the Dan Beard Council. And on the 31st of August, we're going to do perhaps the first of a, of a new series uh, on, on sales. I'm bringing in Dave Bellows, and instead of talking about his company, we're going to be talking about how to beat stalls and objections using the Sandler selling system. But Craig, in your business, you never get stalls and objections, do you? Never at all. I didn't think so. Your, your business is an easy business. You're in the uh, commercial real estate world, right, Craig? That's correct. Good. Why don't you tell our listeners, Craig, how you got here?
2: In terms of how I got into the business?
0: Well, you know, the first time I ran into Craig Roberts was probably in 1993, and you were a uh, commercial real estate broker working for one of the large national companies.
2: That's correct. And I spent time with the national real estate guys. Oh, gosh, for probably the first uh, six, seven years of my career, and then I decided that, like so many entrepreneurs, that I maybe had a better mousetrap than some other folks, and I thought I would give it a go, and with the uh, support of my wife, we started uh, Capital Real Estate Partners in 1998, and we're still here today.
0: Well, that's great. 1998, you started your own company in commercial real estate. Correct. Correct. In a highly competitive marketplace like Cincinnati
2: very much so it's a uh a real estate broker dominated world. there's no doubt about that sure Craig,
0: why don't you tell our listeners what you did before real estate
2: prior to getting into the commercial real estate world, I was in a totally different uh environment i was I had graduated uh from college with a degree in systems analysis computers designing computer systems uh software systems for companies and uh, was at Arthur Anderson and Company at the time, uh, doing systems consulting work both locally and uh, across the country. Excessive travel associated with it.
0: Excessive travel. So you got into uh, your own business to get out of the travel?
2: Primarily, yeah. Uh, it was one in which I just didn't think at the time it was my fiance, now my wife. I didn't think it would be fair to our family uh, for me to constantly be traveling across the country. So I said, I need to get into another, uh, another profession that was going to allow me to be a, maybe a better husband, better dad.
0: Fully understand that. And, and you started your own company in 97, you said? 1998. 1998. What was the major thrust of, of your own company?
2: The idea is that the commercial real estate consumer, in our way of thinking about things, uh, doesn't really know which service providers play in which arenas of the commercial real estate world. There are so many different buckets, if you will, uh, to the commercial real estate uh, service discipline. And we found that commercial consumers really, A, they don't know who plays in which buckets, And B, quite frankly, they don't really care who plays in which buckets. All they want is really one phone number to call to get expert people uh, working on their commercial real estate needs. And so that was the basis and the concept when we started Capital Real Estate Partners, that one-stop shop.
0: One-stop shop. And you concentrate on?
2: Office industrial and retail real estate.
0: Okay. And the consumer or the businesses that, that are looking for... Commercial real estate. How would they find you?
2: Primarily, when I started the company, I was pretty well known in the uh, commercial real estate market at that point in time. With being some of the, with some of the national real estate uh, firms, I had had an opportunity to uh, get involved with uh, some several larger companies here in the greater Cincinnati community. And so, when I went off on my own, it was not like it was, I was an unknown commodity. Um, so, you know, we had a, a good group of people that followed us as we went uh, out on our own, which was very a very humbling experience um, to know that people believed in you. It wasn't so much the national real estate company they were hiring. They were hiring you to do the work. Um, from there, um, relationships, cold calling. Um, and primarily today I would tell you that after all these many, many years of doing this, I've been doing this since 1986, it's primarily word of mouth, uh, friendships, that kind of thing, people past clients that are, are – kind of our best commercial for expanding our business.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And if we were going to uh, tell our listeners what your unique marketing advantage is that you've used successfully for years, what would we be telling
2: them? Well, um, I would tell you that the, probably our unique selling proposition that no other commercial real estate company uh, provides, um, there's really a, a, press, a two-pronged thrust here. One would be the fact that um, the service disciplines that we're actually involved in, um, if I had to say the four primary ones, would be brokerage, property management, construction, and development. And that that construction piece and the brokerage piece together is a very unique model. And then on the other side, the other side of that thrust that I think is a very interesting uh, model, I kind of took it from the Nordstrom approach uh, to business and one in which I start when I started the company, my uh, legal counsel said, you're nuts, Craig, for providing this, and that was a a value-add guarantee on every single piece of service that we we provide to any client. And that service guarantee, which is right on the front page of our uh, website, we're not trying to hide it from anybody, is that if you honestly don't think we added value to whatever service we provided to you as the consumer, then just tell us. Look us straight in the eye, tell us we didn't add value, And if we didn't, then we should have known better and known that we couldn't have added value, and we will walk away from that with no fee uh, for our services. I'm proud to say that since 1998, when we started the company, in which my attorney thought we had lost our marbles, till today, no one has taken us up on that uh, value-add guarantee.
0: That's interesting. Uh, And and you are listed with the Better Business Bureau.
2: Uh, actually not. Uh, the Better Business Bureau approached us probably, oh, I don't know, four or five years ago. And because of all of the service disciplines that we're involved with, um, the stack of information <laughs> they sent to us was realistic. It was probably an inch thick. And I called them up. I said, guys, we're a small business. I said, I'd love to be part of Better, Better Business Bureau. But I said, I don't have time to fill out an inch thick of data. And their response was, we understand. It's just so, so happens that you're in the businesses that so many people have issues with that we are really trying to hone in on that. And I said, hey, I appreciate it, I understand it, but as a smaller company, we just don't have time to fill that out. So we uh, we kindly passed on the offer.
0: Oh, okay, that was to be a member. I, I was thinking about rating because they rate people who aren't members.
2: Uh, yeah, and I'm not a member, so I don't know about the rating system. All I know is that uh, as far as I know as I sit here today with you, Mike, there's no uh, issue with any consumer that, that, that we know of.
0: Okay. And, Greg, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you after the show, Uh, How do they do that?
2: Uh, Several ways, obviously. Uh, Phone number is uh, 513-762-7622. Or the website uh, would be another way to find out a little bit more about us and some of our service offerings and and see that value-add guarantee that we talked about. That's www.capitalrealestate.org.
0: Okay. And, uh, Greg, how do you go to market?
2: Don't know if I understand your question specifically.
0: Well, you said a lot of your business comes to you through uh, referrals. Are you 100% busy with referrals, or do you do other things?
2: Um, primarily, it's referrals um, and and just relationships. Um, we don't spend a lot of time on the marketing side, which I know you'll poo poo that idea that we don't. Um, well, I'm not a marketing company, so I'm not gonna
0: I'm not gonna bug you about that.
2: Uh, I appreciate that. It's. Um, you know, we still do some, uh, I'll call it warm calling. I don't think we have done a cold call, gosh, probably in, uh, you know, 10 years kind of thing. But um, warm calls certainly we do, and then referrals from our past clients is uh, uh, probably our, our biggest uh, source of business.
0: Okay. Do you have an Internet presence?
2: Uh, we do, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, it, it amazes me today, the, the power of the Internet and when we do get new uh, clients and I ask them, where did you hear about us? And I mean, I can't tell you how thrilled I am when I hear somebody say, we found you on the internet. We looked at Cincinnati Commercial Real Estate and you were one of the firms that came up. Um, and then after further investigation of your website, you know, we, we've decided we wanted to talk to you, interview, interview you, and ultimately we get the opportunity to to service that piece of business. I will tell you that um, probably two, three years ago, we didn't have a very good web presence. In my very naive view of of the Internet uh, world, I thought our website was just fine until someone that you and I both know, a fellow Rotarian, uh, decided, he said, Craig, you know, I'm looking at your website, and it really needs a lot of work. And so he helped me uh, convert that to something that was much better, which I could only understand after he had done the work on it.
0: Okay. You don't want to give a plug for the guy who did that?
2: (laughs) His, His name is Don Kennedy.
0: Don Kennedy. Okay, he's not even in the Internet business.
2: No, but he is a master marketer.
0: Master marketer. He does use the Internet. And Don uh, did our first show live uh, on the 29th of March. And if anyone wants to uh, hear what master marketer Don Kennedy has to say, go back to episode number one. Uh, That was a great show. And people are still listening to it uh, via the podcast. Uh, Craig, what I think we'll do here is take a – A short break, and we'll be right back in a couple of minutes. We'll listen to a couple of uh, Sandler commercials. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are we hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. On the web at RothConsulting.net. Finding power. Reinforcement. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Craig Roberts. You know, Craig, in the Cincinnati marketplace, there there have been some people over the last couple of years that have told me the marketplace has suffered some setbacks. Um, What have you seen in the marketplace in commercial real estate over the last couple of years?
2: Whoever told you that is obviously uh, very accurate in what they're saying because every market, every cycle of uh, real estate, you know, retail, office, industrial, apartments, what have you, all go through their own biorhythm, so to speak, of when they're a hot market, when they're not a hot market, those kinds of things. Um, and so, yeah, they, there's there's certainly biorhythms to, uh, to every uh, specialty, and you just need to know and understand, and maybe this is why we've been successful through it, is understand where you are for that particular product, where are you on that biorhythm scale, so to speak? And based upon that, what type of business should you be trying to transact in the marketplace?
0: Okay. And in 2012, what are the changes that you've seen from 2009,
2: 10, 11? Well, certainly you you've saw the recession uh, take a drastic hit on the commercial real estate world. And primarily uh, where you saw that slowdown was through the uh, the financing world. Um, financing, for lack of a better description, is kind of like the oil uh, to the business. And when financing dries up, then transactional work dries up. Um, So that's been the challenge that we've seen in the industry um, for the past two to three years that has had a tremendous and significant effect on the marketplace. What you still see in the investment world, the investment side of the business versus what I'll call the user side of the business. In the investment side of the business, um, you're still seeing those institutional owners buy and sell and trade real estate. It's the local level, the regional and local investor that's having the difficult time trying to find financing for his projects. And so that's where the real challenge in the marketplace is today.
0: Okay. And what do you see as the opportunities? What's happening Uh, in the last couple of months it has been different?
2: Um, I don't know if I'd say in the last couple of months anything's been different, but what is different is uh, if you look at the the user side of the business, certainly the transaction volume isn't there. And so if I'm saying I'm looking at this from an opportunistic side from what Capital Real Estate Partners does, I think there's a few uh, key areas in which we can provide some fairly good service uh, and opportunities for our growth, and that is one certainly in the management field. Um, it amazes me that, that as you continue to go down this uh, this property management continuum and service discipline, um, it, it's it's one in which we continue to find that service providers sometimes take their eyes off the ball. They don't really think like owners. Um, that's our strong suit. That's kind of where we really do cater uh, to the. To the provider, I can as an example, I'll give you one where we came in behind one of the national real estate companies. Um, the first thing we told them as part of being considered for that opportunity, we said we're going to double your fee that you will pay us as a manager compared to what you've been paying. They had a hard time swallowing that, that concept, but once they did uh, and saw how we operated, we basically took their budget and reduced it by 25% year over year from the prior year yet provided them with a higher level of service only because we understood what they were going through we've been on that side of the equation and to see how we can provide service the other piece of it is the the real estate brokerage side the tenant representation side or buyer representation side as some people would call it uh, it's a great time to be a tenant or a buyer in the marketplace if you're a creditworthy buyer or creditworthy tenant uh, significant concessions um, uh, you know, landlords are fighting for you, uh, and they want they want to get the occupancy in their buildings up, and they're willing to pay to make that happen. And so there's, there's the opportunistic side in this economy.
0: Okay. Uh, maybe I misunderstood something, or you can clarify it for me. Does your firm provide property management services, per se?
2: Yes. There's four ser- primary disciplines, and there's others. But the four primary ones are brokerage services, property management, construction, and development.
0: So you're involved in the construction of new projects as well?
2: Absolutely. Ground up, tenant finish work, uh, you name it. If it's a construction project, we can handle it.
0: Okay. Uh, are the number of construction projects in our marketplace uh, going up?
2: Uh, no. Again, because of the oil, um, the financing side of it. Um, financing is very, very difficult to, to come by. Uh, lenders are being extremely cautious about who they lo- loan money to. The development world, unless you've got a tenant in hand on a long-term lease with a credit-worthy tenant, they're not going to finance a project. So, you know, that certainly slows down the development process.
0: Okay. I I can understand that, certainly. Uh, What do you think each one of the groups are looking for? What are the tenants, prospective tenants,
2: looking for? In terms of uh, service from someone like myself? Right. Okay. you know, what What are they looking, what should they be looking for from someone
0: like yourself? And uh, how do we go about serving that market?
2: Uh, great question. It's one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I think tenants don't know what they don't know. Um, too many times. Great point. Yeah, I, I think too many times tenants view the role that we provide as a tenant representative as effectively, someone who's going through the marketplace and showing them options. That honestly is maybe 10% of what a real estate professional should be doing for their clients. Unfortunately, a good number of them will do very little beyond the tour guide kind of approach where we try to differentiate, differentiate ourselves really kind of comes from this um, service discipline methodology, if you will, that I learned it uh, back in my days at Arthur Anderson and company. And that is that there's so many more opportunities to provide additional value to that client through that real estate negotiation continuum that um, I'll put it this way. If so, I'm not trying to, this is not meant as a commercial, but if you go to our website and look at some of our testimonials, uh, I think you'll see that we have an extremely satisfied satisfied clientele base, and it's because of the level of service we provide that I personally think is quite different than what is typical in the greater Cincinnati marketplace.
0: Now, you've used the term that some people might not uh, clearly understand, level of service. Uh, why don't you tell our folks what that might mean and maybe give an example or two?
2: Well, I, I won't give you all the details, but we have a proprietary system that we have developed um, that is revolves around this concept of what's called pools of money. You as a tenant, if you were in the marketplace, and again, I would say sometimes many brokers uh, that are in the marketplace representing those tenants, know about the obvious pools. Gosh, I can get a moving uh, allowance. I can get a certain amount of tenant finish. I can get some free rent in the deal. Unfortunately, there's a lot more pools that the tenant doesn't even know about that the landlord, as the expert, knows every single one of those pools. And while he might give you free rent, as an example, and give you a concession in one of those quote-unquote pools... What are the others? uh, (laughs) Hire us and we'll tell you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there there are seven pools of money.
2: No, there's much more than that.
0: (laughs) There's there's much more than seven. Wow. Some of us people who are renting commercial space, might be overpaying.
2: Uh, I would tell you that you more than likely probably are.
0: <laughs> oh, he's so happy about that. <laughs> okay. When you, in your company, do you have any sales or business development people beyond yourself, Craig?
2: Yes. There's, in the total capital real estate partners company or families of companies, there are 12 people that are operating under that capital real estate partners umbrella.
0: Gee, that's a lot of people. What 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 are their job functions?
2: Uh, some are brokers, some are property managers, some are construction professionals, some are administrative. You know, it, it's over all the aspects of the company.
0: So is this like a virtual company, or is these like uh,
2: full time paid people? They're not. I wouldn't call them virtual, and I wouldn't call them paid because in uh, in our industry, as an example. Property managers and real estate brokers have to have a commercial re- or have to have a license,
3: Correct, a real so. estate
2: license to practice that piece of the business. They may be an independent agent, but they are legally uh, hooked to capital real estate partners to provide that service.
0: I see what you're saying. Someone has to be licensed as a uh, real estate broker to be a property manager.
2: They have to be a real estate agent affiliated with a broker, and I am a broker with the state of Ohio, as well as Kentucky.
0: Okay. Uh, We have a couple of minutes here in this segment, so I'm going to ask you a little little off-the-wall question. Tell us what you think of these uh, commercial developments of all of the buildings in the downtown and over the line area into uh, residential properties.
2: I'm not an expert in the residential side, so I don't know if I can offer... uh, It's kind
0: of a development where they're taking vacant, dead properties and turning them into, uh, I'm going to call them luxury condos.
2: Yeah, and I and I would tell you that I, I, I'm wholeheartedly for it. I think um, Cincinnati is an amazing community. When you look at what the downtown looked like 10 years ago and what it looks like today, it's only because of the business leaders that are in place that that was able to happen. If you look at some other... Markets not too far away, Dayton being an example of that. I don't, I'm not trying to disparage Dayton in any way. But if you look at the what has happened in downtown Cincinnati versus something like a Dayton, Ohio, um, it's only strong leadership that's allowed that transformation to occur. Um, again, I, I'm amazed at the trend. I personally don't think I will ever be one of those empty nesters that decides to live, to live downtown. I'm more of a guy who wants to move out as opposed to move closer. Um, but boy, there seems to be an awful lot of people that are in that residential uh, real estate world that find that quite attractive, and so the demand is there, so you need to create the stock to uh, to fill that demand.
0: Is the uh, housing stock downtown, the newly developed or redeveloped properties, actually being sold, or are they sitting there vacant?
2: Again, it's a little bit out of my bailiwick because I don't follow it because it's not part of my uh, our service disciplines, but... Gosh, you know, I know that there was some vacancy, but as an example in the banks, I had heard uh, probably, gosh, maybe a month and a half ago that the uh, there was a waiting list for units at the banks.
0: Yeah, uh, on the other side of the coin, I was talking to uh, a client who lived down at the banks, and uh, she said she was moving out because it was way too noisy and too busy.
2: It does. It definitely has a nightlife.
0: <laughs> it, 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 they've created. Uh... I think something good for Cincinnati took way too long to do it, but it's, it's good that it's there now. Uh, In general, are you a supporter of the uh, streetcar project from a real estate commercial real estate perspective?
2: Uh, Truth be told. No, I'm not. Um, I do not see how some, maybe this first link has to happen. And I'll, I'll say it this way. When the banks was first being talked about so many years ago, 12 years ago, something, 15 years ago. I don't remember what it was. I was not a believer in it. Today, as I walk down in the banks, I'm a big believer in it. I think it has been a wonderful addition to the city. I have a hard time understanding where we're going with this public transportation um, concept. Um, I don't know how we're going to pay for it in this economy, but that, you know, that's not me to figure out. That's obviously the people that are in charge to figure that out. I just... Uh, I scratch my head on it. I, I'm I'm just not I'm not on board yet.
0: Okay, uh, we're going to take a, a short commercial break and listen to a the Rule. We'll listen to the Rule number twenty-one.
3: Hi, this is Paul Lanigan with Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk to you about rule 21 sell today educate tomorrow Christmas 2002 was a special Christmas for me because I just completed my first year in business but I had a problem I had a very fast-looming tax filing deadline coincidence or luck would have it that there was there's a well-known accounting software company that had a 10-day trial software offer that was in a local business periodical. I called the company, and I had my credit card in one hand, phone cradle like this under my chin, and I called the number. A very pleasant sales rep answered the phone and asked me how she could help. I said, I'm interested in that software package that you have. Straight away, she said, oh, that's our new product. It's just released, and it'll do all your VAT returns for you automatically. Now, VAT is a type of transaction tax we have in business in in Ireland. But the problem is, sales training companies are exempt from VAT tax. So I told her this. So she then reached into her bag of features and threw another one at me. This will manage all your inventory for you. Of course, it's a training company. We don't have a lot of inventory. You see, she was trying to educate me on her product and trying to sell me on what my need is. Instead, if she'd asked me, what prompted you to give us a call or how are you hoping I might be able to help you? I'd have told her that I needed a solution to file my taxes. I'd have told her that I was frustrated, that I was pulling my hair out, that I needed something fast. Remember the rule, sell today, educate me tomorrow. Sell me on what I need right now. What's my priority? And then tomorrow, you can tell me about all the other wonderful things that your product does.
0: Mike Roth, back with Craig Roberts. And, Craig, what i like to do uh, at this time in the show is ask our one of my favorite questions. Uh, we, have a, we developed a theory in business many years ago that complex problems are never solved with simple solutions. You only get in more trouble. So if you want to solve a complex problem, you need to come up with a complex solution. And I always ask my guests, maybe you can tell our audience about a complex problem that you encountered in your business and the equally complex solution that you developed to solve the problem and perhaps uh, the logic stream so that they could develop a similar solution in their
2: worlds. That is a really hard question. I would tell you that without uh, getting too, uh, uh, too religious on you, God's been very good to us in our business. Um, I don't think I've had too many complex problems as it relates to what we do for um, our clients. Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, there's certainly been certain times with some of our clients that they've had really complex issues that they needed to deal with. We're we're working with one right now, which I cannot name the name of. Uh, They just don't prefer that I uh, let Folks know that a small company like ours is working with a Fortune 500 company on something, but we're working on something right now that was an extremely complex issue on how to solve what was before them. Um, We brought in, as part of our team, additional professionals in various disciplines to create what I felt was an extremely strong uh, consulting base from which to work through this issue and I will tell you that as of today um, we're literally gosh a week away from signing all the documents to solve the issue uh, Followed from beyond that another nine months of construction work that we will be directing on behalf of the client to implement the solution but um, you know I'm pretty proud of the team that we put together uh, and the the methodology we used to make sure that we got to where the client needed to get um, to make this all happen. So uh, I agree with you, complex problems do demand complex solutions, and it, it makes me think of that old saying that if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, try hiring an amateur. It'll cost you a whole lot more.
0: Well, we say that about salespeople, too. <laughs> you I know, think it's cheaper not to train them or cheaper to uh, keep them untrained.
2: Right, right. Understand.
0: So, uh, let's talk about a couple of uh, specific uh, projects that uh, have caught the the eye of the press lately. The uh, Kenwood uh, Town Place, uh, which recently sold at auction, and now we discover there's a second sheriff's auction for a very small plot of land to make the uh, the plot complete. of so, couple Have you heard about that?
2: Uh, the second, the second piece that you just mentioned, I have not read that. I mean, it's probably out there, and, that, and I'm not doubting you. I just, uh, I, I know the big piece of it and understand what happened there and and where we are today with that, with Phillips Edison buying it out of Bank of America. There is an interesting part to that whole project that, for years, the commercial real estate brokerage community was talking about. You know, you got steel sitting out in the elements for four years, five years now, and the structural unprotected. degradation, yeah, that happened from that steel. Turns out that it hasn't degraded as far as evidently people thought, because the general rule, or the general thought in the marketplace was that all of that was going to have to come down as part of their uh, redevelopment of that project after it got through the legal uh, problems turns out that's not the, the issue. That you know They've said, yeah, we're going to have to spot support uh, that steel as we uh, continue on the, with that construction. But the bigger issue was the HVAC, the heating, ventilating, and air conditioning systems were inadequate that were originally designed for that uh, uh, project. So I thought, gosh, that's fascinating. You, you have your eye on ball A, but it turns out to be ball B that's the actual problem.
0: Yeah. And, and this, this small parcel of land was set aside for Duke's Power substation, and that that piece of property is now going on public auction, sheriff sale. So that that whole project has uh, been one problem after another.
2: Now this might be a even greener project than they thought. <laughs> right, right. So probably some little hunk of land is going to sell for ten million dollars
0: because of where it is, and the rest of the project is now hung, waiting for that piece of land.
2: Everything on that project has been unfortunate from the day, from day one.
0: So now, if we rolled forward and said, okay, in two years we have a completed project with a lot of first class A office space, can the market absorb that much property?
2: Yes, I think it can. Um, because of location? Because of location be- and because of quality. But it's going to be at the expense of the class B and C properties, and that's what you continually see. The class A's get the tenancies... And then the Class B and C properties continue to fight for everything else. Um, It's interesting to note that in the time that I've been in the commercial real estate world, uh, which is I got into business in 1986, real rent growth in product year over year over year has not seen effective increases in rental rates over that entire time. And so what does that mean in terms of an investor in the marketplace trying to make a living in the office building or industrial building world? They have to buy, right, to make their money. It's not on the sales side that they're going to make their money. Um, So that's kind of maybe different than what you see in some markets that, um, oh, gosh, like uh, uh, Las Vegas is an example, grew very, very rapidly. Rental rate, uh, net rental rate increases uh, aggressively uh, from year over year. But, you know what, it was a market that really didn't sustain itself and now has it, finds itself in a very difficult position. Cincinnati, on the other hand, we've all heard it about how it's a stable market, but unfortunately we don't see that real rent growth as a result.
0: So we should all move our businesses to Las Vegas where office space is cheaper.
2: You could get a good deal there now, Mike. <laughs> I used to have a business there.
0: I, I, I would choose not to go back. Greg, uh, uh, what is your opinion uh on the uh, conversion of the old Cincinnati Inquirer building on Vine Street into a couple of high-end hotels.
2: Again, I think it's another win for the downtown Cincinnati. Um, I'm always amazed uh, in terms of the rebirth that I see happening in downtown. Um, You know, you've got these smaller hotel footprint kind of projects that are going on, and that seems to be, hitting where the consumer wants to hit on the uh, the hotel industry. Again, I'm not an expert in that market, but it's been a long, long time that 617 Vine Street, they've been trying to figure out a solution for that building, and I am thrilled to see that they finally have evidently come up with something.
0: It, it just seems strange to me that you could turn it into a hotel, get away with uh, not building any uh, auxiliary parking.
2: Well, that's the, the building. The, the, one of the biggest challenges um, that that has always been with that building is there, are, there were some environmental issues I know at one point in time from the old inks and that kind of thing from the inquiry being there. But the other side of it was that there were these subsurface areas and I've walked them myself as little as uh gosh, six months ago um, of where you've got underground areas that would be ideal for underground parking. They just hadn't figured out a way to economically get to a point where they could park cars under there. Evidently, again, I don't know the specifics of that project, but my guess is they have figured that out now.
0: Well, so maybe they're going to put an elevator in where they can move 600 cars
2: up and down. Or they're going to cut some of the floor out and develop more ramps. I don't know what they're going to do.
0: Okay. Interesting, because for a hotel, with you, you even uh, 200 rooms, you got to provide spaces for 200 vehicles or 150 vehicles.
2: Absolutely right.
0: Unless, of course, you're on city council and you believe that, that people will magically appear from the airport uh, on the streetcar that doesn't reach the airport. But that's another whole
2: story. I was going to say, let's not go there, Mike. <laughs> no, we're
0: not going to go there. It's all positive on the show. Uh, what, what positive things have you seen in, in, in the real estate uh, development
2: world? Well, I'll say, let, let me take it by sector maybe. That may be a little easier. Um I would tell you that of the three service disciplines that we're looking at, and I'll even add the fourth because I know a little enough about it to be dangerous. Um, you know, you look at the office market. The office market has a long way to go uh, to recover from where it is today. Um, I'm going to guess it's probably going to be a two to three uh, year turnaround, assuming that the economy doesn't do anything more to hurt uh, demand in the marketplace. Uh, the industrial market, um, it is not. Hurting, per se, Um, if you listen to a lot of industrial real estate uh, professionals out there, they're hurting just because there's not the quantity and the volume of business that that there used to be. Um, From a vacancy perspective, it's relatively a good vacancy number, Um, you know, sitting in the 10 to 11 percent kind of range. Uh, Retail is the surprise to me. Uh, The retail marketplace um, continues to show life. Um, Vacancy levels are coming down. They're sitting at about that same 10.5 or so percent range, uh, with the, with the graph, the, um, uh, looking into the future, if it were to continue at this pace, it's going to continue to uh, get lower. Um, so the strength of the retail market to me was, is somewhat of a surprise given where we are on the economic scale and the problems that are facing this country and how, what we have to figure out. But, you know, uh, consumer, uh, optimism and consumer confidence is what drives that marketplace. And, uh, uh, evidently, uh, there's enough going on there that the retail market continues to find new retailers that are continuing to gobble up space. Uh, then the last one would be the apartment market, which is basically red hot, red hot, but by virtue of the fact that, uh, from the economy, you know, again, people not being able to finance, not being able to buy, if they can't buy a, a house, then they got to go find something to rent. And so the apartment market is doing quite well these days.
0: Okay, good. Let's take a uh, another short break, and we'll be back after these messages. This message is short and to the point. In business, you don't get paid for what you know. You get paid for what you sell. Yet many salespeople leave their skills to chance. They often think, let me think it over. They write proposals that go nowhere. They lower their price to get the order. They wind up chasing prospects through the voicemail maze. It doesn't have to be that way. The best salespeople were not born great. They learned it. I'm Mike Roth of Roth & Associates. We're famous for our expensive, difficult sales training. We're not for everyone. We build the best sales prospectors and sales negotiators on the planet. Are you in sales? Are you ready to get deadly serious about your career that feeds your family? Are you ready to make a change? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523. Sandler's most experienced trainer in Cincinnati, 646-6523. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder and president of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. You've been listening to me talk about sales growth and development for years. Now listen to what my clients have to say. Hi, this is meteorologist Rich Apuzo, chief operating officer at Sky Eye Weather. We are consultants for multi-million dollar businesses that are directly impacted by the weather. I've been a client of Sandler Training by Mike Roth for just over six months, yet even in these tough economic times, our business continues to grow. Mike has done an amazing job with me, and I want to thank the folks at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates for all their help. And hey, when you're talking to Mike about sales, if you need a meteorologist, ask for my number. To find out more about Sandler Training and how it might grow your business, contact us at 513-646-6523. 646-6523 or visit us at www.RothConsulting.net This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Greg Roberts here. Uh, We're talking about uh, commercial real estate issues here in the uh, Southwest Ohio area. Greg, what's the geographic uh, range of your business?
2: We have, gosh, since we started the business, we've gone in I think the count is now about 32 states out of the country, we have not done any international work for our clients. Mm-hmm. They tend to uh, go to the national real estate service providers for that kind of service. But we've had clients that have actually helped us uh, that we've helped uh, you know through quite a few states.
0: Okay, let me ask you a question which is pertinent to our, our marketplace. The uh, downtown Cincinnati casino is probably well to eighteen months from opening. What kind of economic impact is that going to have for the rest of the? commercial real estate market?
2: Gosh, great question. I think you've got to have a lot more knowledge about the economics of, of the um, the gaming industry than I have to to talk about it. But I, I think it's certainly going to have a, a big economic impact. I think the question is, is it going to be a positive or a negative one? And I don't know the answer to that question. Um, you know, there is a side to the gaming industry that's, that uh, that a community has to support and take care of those that don't know when to quit, so to speak. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what that element does or doesn't do to the economic vitality of that area, but my hope is that certainly that it's going to bring a positive impact to the to the downtown market, but I got to tell you, the downtown market seems to be hitting on all cylinders uh, as it relates to public development uh, over the past several years. Um, they've done the right things. They've made the right calls uh, on the things that are completed to date. I'm not going to, again, get into that, uh, the rail car issue because I I'm not a big believer of it myself, but uh, from the rest of the stuff, they've done a pretty good job.
0: Okay. And when we look at uh, our community uh, from an economic perspective, uh, just looking at the the economic forecasts, uh, what do you believe the economic forecast says uh, for the next 12 months, the next 24 months?
2: Unfortunately, I think it says more of the same. I don't think anything's going to – uh, significantly, happened. Matter of fact, in just today, uh, uh, saw that uh, the the Fed had made the decision that their response to the slowing economy is that we're agreeing that we're going to keep uh, interest rates down low until well into late 2014. That should give an indication of kind of the more of the same for the next couple years, in my mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And has there been any significant? Inflow of uh, international capital into the uh, Cincinnati real estate market, commercial real estate market.
2: Not really. No, there hasn't been.
0: So international companies aren't uh, moving people and operations here because it's less expensive or more stable than in other countries.
2: No, uh, and then on the investment side of the world, you know, if I look at the investment business per se. Most of those international investors, they consider uh, Cincinnati a secondary, if not a tertiary market. Uh, they primarily are looking in the L.A.s, the Chicago's, the Atlanta's of the world to, to invest their capital. Uh, so typically, th- there, there's been a time in the past, I think it was the mid-80s, maybe early 90s, uh, where there was some capital that was looking here. But but international capital for real estate investment purposes, it's typically not looking at Cincinnati.
0: So you you think that... Uh, People on the outside don't see Cincinnati as a, a growth market for their real estate investment.
2: Again, on the real estate investment side, no. I don't see that.
0: Okay. So for the investor, what advice would you give to the potential real estate investor? Someone who's thinking of getting into the real estate business by buying a building or buying a shopping center.
2: Know where you are on the biorhythm of that particular asset. Um, some people will buy in. The, you know, every every investor has a different strategy about how they're going to buy into real estate. Some will say I'm going to buy into the downturn, um, knowing that I'm not going to buy at bottom dollar, but I'm going to buy close to bo- bottom dollar. Uh, with the expectation that all of a sudden then eventually the thing moves up and I'm starting to make money. Some say I'm going to wait, 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 wait until I know that I've hit bottom. And my position there is that when do you know you've hit bottom kind of thing. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to, to put a finger on. Um, I would just say that that front end is where you are going to make your money. Make sure you do the proper analysis. Make sure any of the assumptions you're making in terms of how you're Uh, how this investment is going to play out for you and what your exit strategy is. Go on the the conservative side as opposed to the aggressive side in your analysis and based upon that, know where you are also on the biorhythm, and you should be okay on the buy side from there.
0: Are uh, you recommending to smaller investors that now is the time is the market at bottom or, or near bottom?
2: Everything that I read suggests that maybe we are close, but again, the the thing that that I would caution is that when you start to hear Ben Bernanke talk about this financial cliff um, that's that's ahead of us, I'm just not convinced that we as a country uh, have the fortitude to do what we need to do to make sure that we don't go to that cliff. Um, you look at our political system. You look how things operate. Uh, we may not be able to uh, stop our spending. Uh, without getting too political about this conversation, um, I just don't know if America has the willpower. And so, if we don't have the willpower, what does that look like? And if 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 that financial cliff is met and we just go over the edge, then nobody bought it bottom because you bought way too high to begin with.
0: Mm. So there are a lot of uncertainties involved in investing in in real estate.
2: Absolutely, and different investment types have different capital requirements. For example, if you go buy an industrial building, there's very little capital beyond the initial purchase of the asset that you've got to worry about for tenant finish work. Uh, most of those guys are warehousers or distributors. Um, they'll, they'll maybe have a small 1,000-square-foot office in 250,000 square feet of distribution space. Um, so there's not an, it's not capital-intensive to do that project. Office buildings, on the other hand, every time a tenant leaves, the landlord has to tear down walls, reconfigure a space to the new tenant's desires. That's a very ongoing capital-intensive business. Uh, so, do
0: you have a set of rules that you could give our uh, listeners for uh, as potential investors in commercial real estate? Uh,
2: I would. This may sound a little bit coy, but I would tell you that you have to tell me what your rules are. Every investor has a different threshold for risk. And whatever that individual's threshold is for risk, that will dictate what you can or cannot consider in the commercial real estate marketplace. I've got, I've got investors who say, gosh, I, uh, you know, an 8% return on my my money, cash on cash return on my money, is fine for me. There's other people that I know that say, unless I can get a 12% return or higher, I'm not even looking at the deal. So every investor is different in terms of what they're looking for in the marketplace, and based upon those requirements, that certainly dictates what type of assets you can consider. Mm -hmm.
0: I uh, went through a space with a uh, potential client last week where they were looking to be on or next to the fiber backbone of the Internet. If someone wanted to do that in this market, where would they be looking for property?
2: the um the, there are certain fiber areas in in the Cincinnati community and primarily without trying to get into too much detail downtown is certainly the richest environment for that um there's are some uh, areas down by the airport that kind of work and also some areas up north um if you theoretically think about the spine of Cincinnati being I75 if you stay along I75 you're relatively close not that that's not a that's not a uh, 100% true mm-hmm. but that would be a good start so
0: since we, we jumped to 75 what's happening with that uh alcoholic beverage plant that's closing down on 75 is someone else taking that over uh
2: you know the um i, I have some information that i brought with me today about uh, some of the market uh things that are going on and i don't know if i i don't know if i have all the details associated with that but um I would tell you that it's going to be a significant challenge, certainly uh from where they go from here in terms of how they uh they repurpose that facility um, It may be right for redevelopment um
0: is it a brownfield uh
2: you know I don't know the answer to the question. I know that it's close to some property that was brownfield property, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was
0: Mhm uh, what do you think of this uh more active aggressive uh, Cincinnati Port Authority,
2: I think the jury's out. Um, what I get frustrated with on the on the uh, the the public side of the business is when uh, well, as an example, you and I were both at Rotary a couple weeks back, and Laura Brunner was there speaking and the the conversation uh, revolved around the next study that they were going to do about. Uh, what their role was, and I think they come out of the study in, sometime in 2014. So I look at that and I think, okay. I'm not so sure if
0: my watch goes that far.
2: <laughs> so I look at that and I say, gosh, you know, um, I don't know if in the next couple years we're going to see much activity there, but uh, my hope is that uh, certainly that there's something there that allows for additional development. But, again, it's a supply and demand kind of thing. They might be able to generate the supply, but I'm not convinced the demand side is there to match it.
0: Well, you know, I'm just going to contrast us to uh, Columbus, Ohio, where their port authority and their rail rail, uh, intermodal transportation hub with the airport, the rail terminal, and the trucking hub all together out there at the old Rickenbacker Airport has uh, caused a tremendous spurt of economic activity. Is there anything in our marketplace that you see as spurring ac- economic activity?
2: There's one site specifically is the old theater right there on Norwood, the Norwood lateral um, that I know that the Port Authority is involved with, along with the I think it's called the Corinthian Church. Um, that's the most visible project that I'm aware of right now that seems to have pot- potential legs to it to see something happen. But Are again, they put a church there. There will be a church on part of that land, but there's additional land for additional development. And, you know, to get interstate exposure land, it's difficult to come by. Uh, so that might be, another, you know, the next uh, uh, little bit of growth spurt that we might see from, uh, from that. And, and I do, again, I know the Port Authority does have their hand in that deal.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Now, uh, the way that Port Authority works here in our jurisdiction, they're only on the Ohio side of the river. Is that true?
2: That's correct. They have to. They work from Ohio funding sources, and they try to. They try to coordinate with Northern Kentucky, but it's two different purse strings. There's no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, as opposed to the Port Authority in New York City, uh, which control which controls the New Jersey side, the New York side, Connecticut, uh, where that's applicable. So they have a better flexibility. Um, what's the next major new construction project that people should be aware of? Commercial construction project.
2: I don't know if I know the one that's. It, it, I guess probably would be the one that is the Steiner development up in Westchester. If that comes to Steiner, Steiner.
0: They're,
2: they're, um, if you go up uh, to Dayton, Ohio, go off at uh, matter of fact, where I grew up in Kettering, Ohio, uh, get off at six seventy five in Dorothy Lane, um, you'll see a Steiner development there. It's an absolutely magnificent retail development. Um, that's the one that's on the drawing boards for the city of Westchester, that if that comes to fruition, I think that's going to be a great, great project for greater Cincinnati. Um, it's retail like you've never seen it before. It's unbelievable.
0: Is that like building an eastern Mall from Columbus in, in Cincinnati? It is.
2: Very similar to that. Okay, even bigger than the,
0: the new wall, like the outlet center they opened in Westchester, or is that in Monroe?
2: Oh yeah, it's it's not an outlet kind of thing. This is high-end retail. It is a uh, it is a destination location that uh literally you could spend your whole day there uh shopping, eating, dining, uh watching movies. Um tons of people hang out there, but it's it's like a city, a city in and of itself.
0: So they already have one in Dayton.
2: They do. And
0: how How long before uh, the uh Development like that uh, happens here in Cincinnati. Uh,
2: I've, I've heard on and off, you know, that it was starting and now not starting, et cetera. So I don't know the the details of the timing. What I do know is that I'm sure they've got a sharp eye on the marketplace and the economy and trying to determine when they hit start on that project. But it's it's going to happen. Uh, I did hear some inside information that uh, it's probably sooner than later, but uh, we'll wait to see. Where is
0: the land that they...
2: Um. I don't know if I could ne- necessarily pinpoint it for you exactly. I don't spend a lot of time in that uh, market in the retail sector of that market. Um, but if I had to, to guess on it, I would tell you that it's probably right off at the uh, union center and, um, gosh, Masteller would be my guess.
0: Okay, good. Great. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. And as a, uh, Thank you. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, the new Sandler book, the 11 Sandler Insights that has been number one on the uh, Amazon list and the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And uh, thanks again for uh, being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me and and thanks so
2: much for the gift. I do appreciate it.
0: Scott,
1: Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at Five one three seven five three nine four zero zero.